Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Why don't you lift your hands and thank him this morning? Mighty God in Christ, we love you. Thank you, Jesus. Mm, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Ah, I feel the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. While you're standing, let's turn to Mark chapter 8. Thank you, Jesus. Great is the Lord. And greatly to be praised. Amen. Mark chapter 8. Give honor to our bishop, to our pastor this morning. Wonderful, wonderful leadership. Love and appreciate them very much. Mark 8 and verse number 18 says, Having eyes, see ye not. And having ears, hear ye not. And do ye not remember, when I break the five loaves among five thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? They said unto him, Twelve. And when the seven among four thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said, Seven. And he said unto them, How is it that ye do not understand? And he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes, everybody say spit. spit. When he spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. And after that he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up, and he was restored. And saw every man clearly. With the help of the Lord, I want to minister on this thought this morning. Note to self, stay focused. Note to self. You ever had to make notes to yourself? If a preacher back in the early 80s had never approached 3M, with the concept of wanting to put a note in his Bible to mark a page. Because during his sermons, he wanted to have something temporary in his Bible that wouldn't be there forever, but for that particular sermon, he wanted to have something. The end result of that was the post-it note. We often make reminders to ourselves. I want to remind us of a few things this morning. Note to self, stay focused, lift your hands to the Lord with me one more time and ask God to touch us today by His power. Lord Jesus, we're thankful, God. We're thankful, God, for this opportunity. Now we're asking you, Lord, to minister. Jesus, your word is anointed. God, help us today to speak, thus saith the word of the Lord, and that only. Mighty God, we give you praise, we give you glory. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. 
Amen. Tap your neighbor this morning and tell them note to self. Stay focused. You may be seated. The people who lived in Jesus' day, who ate with him, who walked with him, who talked with him, they saw his life. They saw his example. They saw the miracles firsthand. This was not a grapevine story. Firsthand, they saw what others might talk about. It wasn't information passed from one person to the other. It was very visual. Uh, they didn't need their bifocals to understand it. They saw him right in front of them. They saw the miracles. They saw his walk. They saw his life. It was right in their face. They saw a little bread and a little fish feed 5,000 men, not including women and children. Now that's a multitude. Not including women and children. I mean, you could perhaps reach possibly 15,000 or more, depending on the population of their family, and that's, that's being conservative. So we need to gain an understanding this morning in this story of something that pertains to the lesson at hand behind what Jesus was trying to accomplish. The culinary feat of feeding the masses with enough food to barely feed a large family is certainly a miracle in itself. But to do this and have leftovers is another completely different subject. There was a time in the Old Testament that the children of Israel took excess of the quail and the consequences was God was disappointed with them. It was not lawful for them to have more than what they needed. God expected them to only take what they needed to get by. However, when we turn the pages of Holy Writ to New Testament life, and Jesus Christ is walking among them, we find that He is making a very pointed lesson of the miracle of feeding 5,000 men, not including women and children. The surface miracle of the feeding impacted the crowd, but the deeper lesson was without doubt or hesitation going to affect the disciples for the rest of their life. Their curiosity was without doubt piqued as to what in the world is going on. They had to wonder. We don't see this in Holy Writ, but I, I have my imagination going today that they had to wonder, what in the world are we going to do with these leftovers? How in the world did we get leftovers to begin with? But now that we've got them, and we're not talking just a little Tupperware bowl full. We're not talking a little microwavable dish for tomorrow's lunch full. We're talking 12 full baskets of fish and bread left over from just a handful that began. They had to wonder, what are we going to do with this? Because until now... Every time God has performed a miracle such as this, there was no excess. This is the first time in recorded history that we see that God ever allowed there to be excess from His miracle. After the feeding of the multitude, Jesus admonished His disciples to get into a ship and according to Matthew's account, go to the other side. And while they were doing this, Jesus was going to dismiss church. And he was going to head on up to the mountain for a little after-service prayer. 
During their transit to the other side, the sea waters became very uh, very harsh and caused them much worry because it, it might as well have been, uh, you know, it was a tumult. It was a, possibly a hurricane of sorts or some type of storm was rocking the boat to and fro and they became fearsome. Now, it's possible to believe today, I think it's very feasible, that their dinners were not much different than ours. Something had to be done with the leftovers. I, I don't see them sitting on the side of the beach just leaving the basket sitting there for the birds to take. I think God had a more pointed lesson in the meaning here. So something had to, had to be done. So imagine with me, if you will, for a moment, that Jesus has dismissed church. We know what he's doing. He's, he's dismissing the crowd. He's sending them away. And then he's going to prayer. So we can imagine from that this morning that he does not have 12 baskets of fish and bread strapped to his back. I can picture in my mind's eye that the disciples, maybe they had one basket apiece, I'm not sure, but that the disciples are now picking up those baskets and they're taking the leftovers with them to the ship. Their next destination was the ship. They were going to the other side. They were following their instructions. Imagine with me, if you will, for a moment that it could have been the point that the leftovers had nothing to do with the miracle of the feeding. The leftovers possibly had nothing to do with fish and with bread. As a matter of fact, it's quite possible that the lesson to be learned for the disciples would later be found in one of their darkest and scariest and most fearsome hours. If you can get a picture of your mind this morning, the disciples are on a ship. And over in the corner somewhere sits 12 baskets. Over in the corner somewhere sits leftovers of today's miracle. Over in the corner somewhere on this ship, the, the waves aren't tossed yet. So over in the corner, I've stuffed those things that I'm done with. And I'm no longer paying attention to those leftovers because that miracle's done. What could Jesus possibly have wanted me to worry about these now? So now they are taking their transit from one side of the water to the other side. And the winds begin to blow. The boat begins to rock. And the waves begin to crash up over the side of the boat. And they begin to get scared that the boat's going to capsize. Or their life is going to be taken. And their master is not with them. If you can get a picture of this in your mind this morning. The unplanned dinner of feeding 5,000 men not including women and children, was a miraculous success. But now the leftovers are still in the corner. Stuck in the corner of the ship that is, uh, that is shifting, that is shifting with the wind, that is shifting with the waves, is the memory of what just happened. But it's not only just a memory, ladies and gentlemen, but stuck in that corner of leftovers is a reminder that God is more than enough to meet every single solitary need that you have in your life. Ladies and gentlemen, God not only wants you to succeed, but he's providing you with more than enough to make it through to the other side. We don't serve a God today that is just barely enough. We don't serve a God today that just barely meets the need, but we serve a God of excess. We serve a God that has more than enough for your healing, more than enough for your miracle, more than enough for your family, more than enough to save your children, more than enough to save your husband. Somebody shout, he's more than enough. Tap your neighbor this morning and tell him he's more than enough. 
So, it seems hard to see that, that confirmation sitting over in the corner sometimes. The leftovers of the last revival service where you shouted and danced and shouted the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. It seems hard sometimes in the matter of facts of life to see stuck over in the corner somewhere the leftovers of that shout. It seems difficult to see the leftovers of that dance. It seems difficult to see the leftovers of the last time you spoke in tongues. But somewhere in the corner of your life, there is something that is reminding you to say, God is more than enough. God is more than enough. The wind started blowing. The boat started rocking side to side. All the other people around you in your life, when things start falling apart, they start doubting God before you ever do. And if you're not careful the company you keep, you'll keep around company that doubt God. And before it's over, you'll find yourself doubting God. That may be why he said, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. There is a separation that we need. I don't need to associate myself with Job's comforters. I don't need anybody telling me it's going to get worse. I need somebody lifting up my hands and reminding me over in the corner some leftovers of yesterday's shout and telling me God is more than enough. Oh, somebody clap your hands to the Lord. Somebody clap your hands to the Lord. Hallelujah. Can you see it? If you look hard enough, it's there. Even to the person this morning who hasn't approached an altar in years. Even to the person this morning that hasn't spoken in tongues since you first received the Holy Ghost. Even to the person this morning who hasn't made a move since you were baptized. Even to the person this morning that runs every service. There is somewhere in the corner of your life a reminder of exactly who God is and exactly who God is for your life. You see, it's all good and well for us to come to church and hear stories. It's all good and well for us to come to church and engage in the preaching and connect with the preacher and, and say amen and shout hallelujah. But if you don't have a personal experience, if you don't have a personal relationship with God, that when you leave these doors, that what you heard impacts your life, then you've not connected yet. There is something that God wants you to know in your life that He is more than enough. The God we serve today is not just more than enough for Bishop. The God we serve today is not just more than enough for pastor. Now why are you saying that preacher? I'm saying that because that's how people think. People often think, people often think, more often than not, that God is only God for certain people. That the miracles of God, well, I believe in them and they're good for you, but no, it's not going to happen to me. And they've accepted less than God's best by believing that those things that happen to those around them can and will never happen for them. All the while somewhere in the corner are some leftovers of something God has done for you that is just a gentle reminder. It wasn't about the fish. It wasn't about the bread. It wasn't about 
the feeding. It was about the fact that he had provided not only the need that was a miracle, but he had provided more than the need. That was just a matter of fact, these were fragments of leftovers. You wouldn't even want to eat them. Now, I'm not a fisherman, but I do like a certain type of fish. We'll at least leave that unsaid. And I know one thing, Brother Freddie, that whenever I go to engage in that particular meal, I want it prepared right. I have a couple of rules that I live by if I'm going to eat raw fish. Now, I tried to keep from saying it so I don't gross anybody out this morning. But I have a couple of rules that I live by, and that is it has to be in a certain type of restaurant. It has to be prepared by people who are certified to prepare it. Those type of chefs take seven years to get certification. So by the time they're preparing it, they know what they're doing. They've studied the art and science of it. And I'm not trying to convince anybody to try it. I'm just explaining my rules. All right? But I know one thing. When it gets room temperature, I'm not going to touch it anymore. I want it when it's fresh. I want it when it's cold. I want it when I know it's safe to eat it. I still pray. I want it when I know it's right. But later, if it sits out on the table for two or three hours, not the time to approach. Now, I only brought that up because we're talking about leftovers that are fish. All right? You with me? So now we've got leftovers that are fish and bread and, and maybe, maybe the, the fish oil is now soaked into the bread and, and, and you got, you got fish bones with just little fragments of meat left on them and they got the little head sticking there with the eyeballs and everything's left over. You can tell by the look on your face this morning you would not want to eat that. The whole day has passed. You wouldn't want to look at it. You wouldn't want to smell it. The whole day has passed. But yet all that stench and all that stuff that you wouldn't even want to eat is sitting in the corner. So it's not about the food. It's not about giving them a midnight snack. Jesus wasn't interested in giving them dessert. It was just simply a psychological reminder. That was it. He didn't care about them eating it because it wasn't worth eating by the time they got to the ship. By the time they needed the reminder, it wasn't worth touching, much less smelling. But yet it still served the purpose. And the purpose was this, I have done something great in your life. Don't forget what I've done because, hello, I'm the basket full of leftovers over in the corner and I'm just a reminder to you, sounding like a trumpet, that God is... More than enough. It's God's reminder that he's more than enough. So I'm wondering if there's something this morning, some basket of revival leftovers in your life, some occurrence, some miracle, some word fitly spoken by your pastor, some, some word fitly spoken in a service that ministered to you deeply and that you took it home and you stuck it in the corner. It motivated you to try harder. 
It motivated you to do more. You left here on the bandwagon. Woo! Let's save Mount Carmel. You left here feeling strong. You left here feeling great, dependable, accountable to God. But now it remains as nothing more than a basket of leftovers. You stuck it in the corner somewhere. You've forgotten about it. Life has gone on. And you've hit some hard times. It just seems like a fleeting memory now. You've had so many hard times that it seems hard to imagine that that leftovers means anything to you anymore. But yet it's still a reminder that God is there. The reason why, and this is what I've come to preach this morning, the reason why we stick it in the corner and we forget about those things that God has done, the reason we forget about those leftovers, if you will, those fragments of God's greatness in our life, is because we don't maintain our focus. It's not in clear view. It's not in sight. It just seems like a fleeting memory. But God's intention for those memories, God's intention for those spiritual leftovers, those spiritual highs, if you will, that you've left here on a Sunday night with, God's intention for those is not necessarily to have you walk on the water. God's intention for those is not that Monday you'll be on cloud nine all day long. It's a much deeper meaning. It's a much long-term meaning and, 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 and context that God's intention for those is that whenever life goes bad, whenever everything starts falling apart, you've got something to pull out of the corner. I can pull some more worship out of my basket. I can pull some more praise out of my basket. I can praise How can I praise him when everything's falling apart? Because I know by faith what God has given me was more than I ever needed. It was more than I ever deserved. So I can walk by faith today because of yesterday's proof. When the storms of life toss you to and fro, those baskets in the corner of your life are there to give you strength. They're there to give you power. Why don't you lift your hands right now? Let's talk to the Lord this morning. Thank Him, thank Him, thank Him for the past. Thank Him for past victories. Thank Him for the miracles He's performed. Thank Him that He's a God that is more than enough. Hallelujah. Great is our God. I need to declare to somebody this morning that choosing to stay out of focus doesn't allow you to escape accountability. Knowledge is accountability. And a blind man can serve God. So being able to see it, that isn't everything. Because you know it's there. So let's, let's take a look at what it means to be focused. The word focus means a central point as of attraction, attention, or activity. The word focus means the clear and sharply defined condition of an image. It is the position of a viewed object or the adjustment of an optical device necessary to produce a clear image in focus and out of focus. 
In focus, out of focus. That's focus. Focus is where our attention is. Focus is what we put in front of us to maintain as a priority in our life. The reason I'm standing before you today is because at some point, God became a focal point in my life. And God became a focal point before preaching became a focal point. God became a focal point before singing became a focal point. God must be a focal point for you before you ever teach a Sunday school class. Before you ever lead a youth group. The focus that is necessary can only be maintained by choice. It is told, and I do not know or nor have I memorized all of the scientific reasoning behind this, but I have read the statistics that it has been told very clearly that 80% of all blindness could be avoided. 80%. But people just don't focus on the important things. So they wait too late. In our scripture text, Jesus took the blind man and led him out of the city. The Bible declares that he then spit on his eyes. He put his hands on him and then asked him if he could see. Jesus led this man out of the city of Bethsaida because doubt had just overwhelmed the city. He had tried to perform miracles there and they just they would not accept it. Doubt and unbelief just permeated everything about them. So Matthew 11 and 21, he says, Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! If the mighty works which are done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Tyre and Sidon were two heathen cities. Two heathen cities that according to history uh, that were so heathen that Jesus never even went there. He was by there a lot of times but he never even bothered to go. And Bethsaida's rejection of him was so severe that those heathen cities would have repented long ago. That's pretty serious stuff. So Jesus gets the man out of the city. He's trying to separate him from the unbelief. And he's trying to get the man to focus. The only thing that keeps some people from committing to God in their life is a lack of focus. You can disbar every other excuse. It's just they are not focused. They're not tuned in to the right things. And when you really focus on God, God will let everything else take care of itself. You can stop worrying about your health. I'm not talking don't take care of yourself, but I'm talking when you start getting God in focus. You can stop worrying about the job. You can stop worrying about everybody that hates you. Most of the time, that's just false perception anyway. And we trap ourselves into that. You can stop worrying about everybody around you and you can really focus on God. 
How do people worship freely? And how do people really not care what the Michaels of the world think? Because they're focused. They're tuned into something. Spit. Well, it's just spit. There's no nice way to talk about it. It's nasty. It is universally known. What that means is every culture. It is universally known to be an insult. To spit on someone is degrading. It's insulting. I was spit on once when I was a kid. I didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. It was nasty. So how could you? And it was by a girl of all things. I'll tell you what, girls can be nasty. Spit. What? <laughs> but still, Jesus spits on the man. There are some cases of blindness where the blind person's eyes are gummed together really bad because they're shut all the time. They're blind, so they never open their eyes. It's quite possible that this blind man had closed his eyes. If he had been healed, he wouldn't know it. Because he had his eyes shut. Follow that now. Perhaps there's some things that we're closer to victory on than we realize. And I think Pastor alluded to this recently. We're closer to victory than we realize sometimes, but the reason we don't realize is because we're not focused. You walk around with your spiritual eyes closed all the time and you're constantly asking God, God, heal me, God, heal me. And He's got healing right in front of you. But you don't know it because you're not focused. You've got your eyes closed. Blind man had his eyes closed. His eyes were all gummed together, nasty. So Jesus spits. Spits in his eyes of all things. Puts his hands on him. Jesus, by using spit, used natural means to cure a natural problem. Hear me today. He used natural means to cure a natural problem. That was not a healing. At this stage in the miracle, Jesus has done for the blind man what the blind man could have done for himself. Cleaning out his eyes was really his responsibility. You want to get focused today, you worry about the things that you can do. Let God worry about the God things. But when you do everything you can do, He'll take care of the God moments. But don't sit back waiting on God when you haven't done what you need to do. There is a focus that is right. We need a note to self, ladies and gentlemen. Stay focused. Stay focused. And the declaration of this today is, is not good for today. You need to stay focused on Monday. 
and on Tuesday and on Thursday and on Friday and on Saturday, the days when you're not in the house of God are the most important days for you to focus. Because you can actually come to church unfocused and leave focused. You, you can get here a little uh, and leave. That almost sounded like a goose. Lord help. The ducks are flying already. That, that's, that's just like us sometimes. We, we close our eyes. We ask God to heal what we can't see when we're the ones that closed our eyes. So now he's taking care of the natural problem. The blind man now can open his eyes. If we look at this from a more spiritual perspective this morning, we can believe it to be possible that Jesus, when he spit on the man, was not spitting on the man, he was spitting on the disease. It's quite possible that Jesus was harnessing all of his insult. All of his insulting power that he could muster and directing it at the disease, not the man. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying this morning that when you get focused, there's going to be some things God tells you you're not going to like. There's going to be some things that God says you need to do this, but you don't need to do that. And when you get focused, when you get focused on God and you stay focused, what you're getting rid of and what you're picking up, the subject matter doesn't matter because I just want to stay focused. My point is, God did not save you to stay in the same condition that He found you in. There needs to be growth. If you have a baby that is born and six months later it's still a newborn condition, that's a problem. There, there's a condition there that's not right. It's the same way in our spiritual walk with God. He expects and wants from us to take the nourishment of the Word of God and grow and grow and grow. And the more you grow, the more you let go, the more you pick up. I let go of the worldly things, I pick up the godly things. I change the way that I live, I change my lifestyle, I change a whole lot of things. Why? Because I'm getting tuned into God and I'm getting focused on what a Christian really is. Luke chapter 4, verse 39 says, And he stood over her and rebuked the fever. And it left her, and immediately she arose and ministered unto them. In this scripture, Jesus is there to pray for a woman, and he rebukes not the woman, but the fever. He spoke to the disease, and it listened. So if he can speak audibly to a disease, it would stand to reason that because he is God, that his insult of spittle could be to the disease, not the man. Now the takeaway from that is that when you get in, you get in really tight and close with God and he comes in and does a little spiritual surgery on you, there's a recovery period. There may be some pain. It may not feel good. But if you'll stay focused on what He's doing in your life, you'll trust Him. 
Now, I'm not going to ask you this morning if you would trust me enough to spit in your eyes. Because I'm not God. And I wouldn't trust you enough to spit in mine. Come on now, seriously. Don't look so shocked. Your spit's just as dirty as mine. But we've got to understand the context of what he's saying here. He did something to the man that on the surface felt insulting. Everything God does to you, He is really doing for you. But if you're in your flesh and you're not focused, you're going to think He's spitting on you and not the things in your life. God may want to spit on the diseases in your life. God may want to spit on the interruptions in your life. Not you. You're just the vehicle by which it receives. Now there's another element to this though. If the blind man had been doing his part, he'd never had to spit on him. Oh glory. The more we do our part, the easier it might make God's job. So we need a note to self. Stay focused. Our problem as people is not getting focused. Our problem is staying focused. We can get focused. Getting focused is not an issue. It's remaining focused. We can get focused on a good Sunday morning or a Sunday night service. And we can leave with fresh eyes. God can speak to you And you can leave your eyes all bloodshot. You've been crying. You've been weeping. Oh, God. And you felt like you haven't felt in months, maybe even years. And you leave and you say, Woohoo! Wasn't that church? And everything hurts but your spirit. And then Monday morning you wake up and the same troubles you had the day before are still there. The same unsaved spouse is still there. The same unsaved children are there. The same pain is there. The same sickness is there. The same sin struggles are there. The same things you were doing the day before that you shouldn't have been doing that you haven't let go of yet are still there. And then we take yesterday's victories, package them up in a basket, stick it in the corner, and we say, well, I guess I just can't do it. I like what I feel and I like going to church, but I I, I just can't be one of them. You just gave your focus away. You got focused, but you didn't stay focused. And the reason you didn't stay focused, ladies and gentlemen, hear me well this morning, it's not the devil's fault. Satan didn't come in among you and tempt you. We write a blank check sometimes that just gives away our focus. And it's caused by doubt and it's caused by fear. The same things that kept the healing for the blind man to take place the first prayer. 
The only reason, you see, when, when, Jesus, when Jesus prayed for the man, and he spit in his eyes, rubbed them, got them all loosened up, and then he prayed for them. He said, I see men walking as trees. That causes us to believe he had lost his sight sometime during life. Because he knew what a tree looked like and he knew what men looked like. So we believe from that that he was not blind at birth. But the first prayer wasn't enough. Now let me, let me explain to you something this morning. When Jesus laid his hands on the man a second time, it, he wasn't calling down more power. It, it, he wasn't putting a turbo boost in on it and his whoa, the second time was greater than the first. Because we do that sometimes. How many times have you seen somebody pray for somebody and they didn't respond the way they wanted and they do it again? Well, the first prayer is powerful enough. The reason the blind man didn't get what he needed the first time is because he didn't believe it was going to happen. Because he came out of a city of doubt and he brought his doubt with him. But now he can see men walking his trees. Whoa, maybe there's something to this. Now he's starting to believe. So now Jesus says... Another time. He didn't have to say in Jesus' name because it was him. I like how that works. He just lays hands on him a second time and he was restored and he saw whole. The word restored, there's another indicator that he had had his sight at some point. Because he's given back to him something that he once had. We need to get back something that we once had this morning and it's going to come by us getting focused and staying focused on God. The only way you can stay focused is to say no to the wrong things. To stop making excuses for yourself and say, no, I'm not going there anymore. Not doing it. Your choices matter. I know I sound like a broke record because I say that a lot, but it's so true. And when you start making right choices, sometimes wrong things happen. Understand me this morning. I'm closing. But when you make right choices, in our, in our human nature, we often want to believe that if I'm going to make right choices, everything's going to be good. Oh, I wish that was the case. But the reality is, and somebody needs to hear this this morning, when you start making right choices, sometimes bad things happen. Why? Number one, the devil don't want you making the right choices. And if he can put roadblocks and stumbling blocks and confusion and frustration in front of you for trying to make the right choice and make life feel easier when you make bad choices, then which choices are you think he's going to position for you to make? The bad ones. Because nothing... Let me tell you something I was taught a long time ago. I made a mistake in the service. I was a teenager... I was at my father's church and I was, I was up and I was doing something. I won't go into all the details. It's not really that big of a deal, but it was a big deal to me. And I went and I saw a friend uh, the, the next night because, man, I was just all distraught over it. I couldn't believe that, that I, I had missed something. And, and he looked at me and he said, he, he, he had a nickname for me and I won't tell you what that is. He, he called me by name. He said, let me tell you something. Those who never try never mess up. I was like, wow, <laughs> really? He said, yeah, those who never try, they never mess up. The people who are never messing up usually are the ones that never try. They're usually the critics of those who are trying. So when you make right choices, sometimes things don't always go as planned. Because right choices sometimes upsets the people around you. 
Amen. Come out from among them. That doesn't mean be their enemy. But it means I have certain people in my life that I can be friends with, I can be acquaintances with, but they are not my buddy. I had to make a choice to separate from them because my lifestyle was different than theirs. And their lifestyle was not conducive to me staying focused. We make it too much about the people we're separating from when we need to make it more about the person we're, we're joining to. <clears throat> there are times in life you're not going to get any more than what you expect to get. And if you don't expect God to answer your prayer, perhaps He's not going to. We halfway expect God to answer our prayer. And if you halfway expect, if you come up for prayer... I'm not being critical this morning, but just follow me for a second. If you come up for prayer, the step of coming forward for prayer should be a, a public demonstration of faith. I believe God is going to do what He needs to do. But if you come up here with timidity and, and, and you're all distraught in your mind, maybe you can't tell it on the surface, but in your mind somewhere you're just believing, well, you know, I'm going to try this, but I really don't know if it's going to work or not. What's going to happen to you is you're going to walk away seeing men as trees. You're going to be half healed, half sick. And I, I almost believe that might be a worse place than being all sick or all healed. Because you're going to think you're better than you really are. Spiritually. And that leads to deception. Stand with me this morning. When the man finally believed, it didn't matter that Jesus had spit on him. It didn't matter that unorthodox means had been taken. I had a man one time. Some of you know the intricate details of my life and the trouble I've had with my ears that has stemmed from early, early, early childhood. I was a teenager, and the doctor had seen a spot with a microscope way down in the ear canal and he said uh, I think I was about 15 years old he said it looks like cancer but we're going to wait for 30 days and we're going to see along the time of those 30 days we had a man come to church my, my dad's church has church on Friday nights and we had a man come on a Friday night unplanned came in and had spent two and a half hours prophesying and laying hands on people and Brother Freddie I'm sensitive about people messing with my head I don't like it especially right here and he took anointing oil fresh on his hands and the man stuck his fingers in my ear I can guarantee you today that immediately in my flesh I thought uh oh just being honest with you but then I got past that because of focus 
I knew what God was capable of doing. I fell flat of my back on the floor. It's like a lightning bolt. I went to the doctor the next day, or the next week, actually. He got that same microscope out, turned me half upside down and looked into my head. And he said, well, whatever was there 30 days ago, he was Indian. I do not see it. Well, it's gone. My mom's sitting over in the corner. She's going, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And he said, yeah, you can thank him too. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we need to stay focused. Getting focused is a good thing. But we need to stay focused. I wonder this morning how many of you could, we could close this service out with joining around in this altar together and lift our hands to the Lord and just begin to just... Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.